Good afternoon, Danny Guerra here from Authentic Biochemistry Studios. Today is the 4th of October, and it is still the year 2021. I am here to continue our discussion of T lymphocyte biochemistry, pathology, and a little bit of molecular genetics. So we're not going to uh, delay any anything by enhancing that introduction. We're just going to get directly into it. And so I think this will be um, exactly where we need to be. Um, probably one more audio lecture, and I'm going to try to do a video lecture um, this week. So paper was published in Immune Aging uh, back in 2020, two years ago. Well, not quite two years ago, about a year and nine months ago. And it tells us the following. And this is something that should be mostly uh, review. We know that aging and obesity both have an associative immunosenescence. And that's basically a phenotype of immune compromise and uh, on top of that, inappropriate targeting of host cells. So the phenotype was first characterized as what they used to call an immune deficiency, but that's not really what it was. That fails to describe the molecular subtlety of it, actually, because it's under controlled responses that you observe a transition from poor surveillance, which is a major function of the immune system, poor attack of true pathogens, leading then to a misguided almost overcompensation um, of commensal organisms. And that results in a pathological reorganization of the protective biofilm, such as that found in the mucous membrane sites, <clears throat> such as the intestine, what we we're talking about just yesterday. So that's definitely a prodromal a pathophysiological state. So immunosenescence also includes, besides what I just mentioned there, a lack of vaccine efficacy, as you might guess, and indeed a decline of the specificity of natural killer cell lineages, as we have been describing. Remember the epigenomic discussion. So you also get a lack of tumor detection and tumor elimination. And that's yet another phenotypic characteristic of immunosenescence. Again, well cataloged in the aging adult, but also observed increasingly in younger people who are obese. Okay. There's a link there. Obviously, it has to do with fat metabolism. So there's a lack of tumor detection, as I said, which means, of course, uh, the potential to develop cancer. Now, these aging-associated malfunctions in total appear and present often in increasing alarming frequency in younger individuals. And those younger individuals have been uh, possibly not just obese, but have had prolonged anti-inflammatory pharmaceuticals being used to challenge some of the chronic inflammation we see in obesity. You also get a host of prescribed drugs in younger and younger people that normally did not take 
pharmaceuticals. These drugs would, would be targeting the metabolic sequelae of obesity, <clears throat> but also psychiatric, and then ultimately cardiovascular diseases with a strong representation from cancer patients as well, <clears throat> and folks suffering from chronic autoimmune diseases, sometimes of the nervous system, and of course, major organ system failures, including the lung, the liver, the kidney, the blood, the adipose, skeletal muscle, and of course, the GI tract, and one very notable organ level one, pancreas. So immunosenescence is not due to a lack of immune cells, but it's due rather to a reduced immune repertoire diversity. And that's going to be attributed to insufficient production of naive immune cells and an amplified clonal expansion of memory type immune cells. So immunosenescence is therefore linked to aging uh, which is progressively an, uh, also organized around the atrophy that we call thymic involution, which basically means the aging of the thymus and lack of its normal output. <clears throat> this is a chronological event. So this phenomenon is readily observed in most vertebrates, and it results in many alterations as well as functional domain disruptions. Ultimately, you get a significantly decreased thymic output from this thymic involution. And the output that we're talking about here are naive T lymphocytes. That, of course, will reduce, and we talked about this again in the late spring, I'm remembering, the diversity of the T cell receptor. And that can then culminate in a corruption of T-cell homeostasis. So that's where we are with this discussion. Okay. Now, a little bit more detail. You have to develop what's known as central tolerance. So you have to establish central tolerance. And that's because you have negative selection and on top of negative selection, that is selecting against cells that would autoimmune attack host cell lineages, <clears throat> you also have to have a good balanced T regulatory cell generation. Okay? This is all, again, thymic activity. So I want you to see this as like an intersection of the immunosenescence and immuno or inflammaging, which is a term I don't like because it's hard to say, and also somewhat confusing, but we're going to get involved in discussion of it, so don't worry. So immunosenescence is distinct from inflammaging, but both are associated in an axis that basically involves this thymic involution. Okay, that's the key feature. So you have an aged, involuted thymus, right? And it's going to give you an ineffective central tolerance. At the same time, you're going to get a decrease in thymic output or thymopoiesis, okay? So you understand that this is going to be a, 
um, an axis that's going to lead to multiple damaging events, right? So what does that include? So you have ineffective central tolerance and you have impaired negative selection, and that's going to lead to an increased output of self-reactive T cells. And that's going to mean an attack of self-host tissues and organs. And you include with that an insufficient establishment of thymic T-regulatory cell, T-cell receptor recombinant repertoire. That will fail to sufficiently suppress, of course, all the self-reactive T-cell mediated now we'll call autoimmune responses or diseases. So autoimmune responses lead to tissue damage, obviously, such as organ tissue and cells in the blood. Those are two that I just mentioned out of the four or five I, I brought up. You also then get with that chronic inflammation. And that, of course, is the major contributor to inflammate aging, okay? Chronic inflammation. Now, see how that links up with obesity. Obesity is associated with chronic central and peripheral inflammation. So again, you get reduced thermopoiesis. That's going to lead to decreased output of the naive T-cell. And you're going to get problems with the clearance of senescent somatic cells as another downstream event. So these senescent somatic cells, also known as SSCs, will then be allowed to uh, maintain their um, terminal differentiation into um, senescent-associated secretory phenotype, or the SASP, that we've talked a great deal about. So these SSCs are the, are, are the source of the SASP. And of course, that is a major contributor to inflammation. Okay. So again, you have an increased output of self-reactive self -reactive T cells. You have a reduced capacity for autoimmune suppression by the T reg cells because you have that downward spiral of lack of thymopoiesis. And that's because, again, because you're getting thymic involution as you age, that's going to lead to a targeted uh, self-tissue damage, chronic inflammation, ultimately leading to inflammation. Okay, the inflammation associated with aging, sensitive stricto. Because of this reduced thymopoiesis, you're going to have a reduced output of naive T-cells. That's going to cause a um, collapse of the TCR diversity. And that's what we mean by immunosenescence, right? The aging immune system lacking now a complete repertoire of T-cell receptor to be able to respond to the um, copious amount of antigen that can be presented. So that means you're going to, again, get these impaired senescent somatic cells. They're not going to get cleared, and they'll accumulate, and they'll start generating that phenotype. Remember, the senescent associated secretary phenotype. That's going to lead to the production of inflammatory cytokines, like interleukin-6 and interleukin-1-beta, okay? all of which is going to promote more chronic inflammation of the aging or inflammation. Here we go. Now, 
another major characteristic of the immune aging phenotype we have already now introduced and we've talked about it in the past it's called inflammaging and it's going to describe this elevated self-reactivity in the elderly population and that in itself is going to result in a, a kind of like a chronotypical low grade but still above baseline systemic inflammatory phenotype okay. and you're not going to have any kind of acute infections so you're not going to have that kind of response it's going to be chronic so this is all attributed to again somatic cell senescence associated secretory phenotype and again chronic innate immune activations innate immune response, at least at the initial phases of the chronicity of it. Now, you also get the adaptive immune response, and that's what the whole discussion of the thymopoiesis and discussion of T-cell receptors and the T-regulatory cells, right? And that's where we put the two things together. Now, this basal inflammatory state in the elderly, uh, again, inflammation, is often link then to age-associated neurodegenerative diseases. Those include diseases such as Alzheimer's and Parkinson's in the brain, that is in the CNS, but also a host of metabolic diseases, which are also neurodegenerative, just peripheral. <clears throat> One of them is, of course, T2D, which is Type 2 diabetes is also linked to the inflammation of the pancreas. So pancreatitis is one of those organ failures. And that's basically a neurodegenerative type of disease. So remember that T lymphocyte development and selection always occurs initially in the thymus. And that's where you get central tolerance, right? And you get, you get central tolerance by two different means. One is you get at the thymocyte level, negative selection. And that's gonna ha happen with any, or hopefully the entirety of self autoreactive T lymphocytes. So you're gonna remove those, okay? And they're gonna be removed by apoptosis. The next type of issue is the generation of CD4 positive, but they're only single positive cells. So they're CD4 SPs, they're known as CD4 positive, only CD4, so CD4 SPs. And those are going to be also FOXP3 positive regulatory T cell lineages. Now, the primary function of those is to suppress, of course, any downstream T-cell mediated self-reactivity that escaped that initial negative selection. And what that does is maintain the periphery from any kind of autoimmune responses. Now, both of those activities give you central thymic T-lymphocyte cellular tolerance. And so you need those T-reg cells and you need to have a good repertoire of the T-cell receptor in those T-reg cells. And that's what begins to fail when you get thymic involution, 
with aging. Okay, so those are really important aspects of this. Now let's talk about the Treg regulation itself. Okay, it comes from a paper we introduced yesterday, Experimental Molecular Medicine, uh, 2019, when, when this came out. So you have a transcription factor known as FOXP3. And it's actually on the X chromosome. And that basically is found in the Treg cell lineage. In fact, that transcription factor is the lineage determining factor. That's FOXP3. Cytokines involved here are going to be TGF beta and interleukin 2, which are going to act basically as growth effectors on the Treg population, growth factors, and also they're going to induce the transcription of the transcription factor, FOXP3. So the way it works is interleukin 2 induces the JAK-STAT pathway. And that is going to initiate downstream the FOXP3 chromatin remodel, uh, transcription via chromatin remodel. Now, when TGF beta binds to its receptor, a protein called SMAD23 will become phosphorylated and it will go right to the nucleus. So once you have phosphosmad 2 it's going to bind to cis-acting enhancer regions otherwise known as conserved non-coding sequences, CNSs, right at that FOXP3 locus. And that's where each of these CNSs, and there's multiple types, we went to a lot of detail with this about six months ago, <clears throat> have multiple CNSs. Those, again, are conserved non-coding sequences. Consider them as enhancers with a complete transcription uh, at full on for FOXP3. And each of those CNSs are going to have unique binding domains and they're going to have transcription factors that are going to ultimately regulate the FOXP3, which is itself the master transcription factor, which is again lineage determining for Treg. So CNS1, okay, that's not central nervous system. CNS1, remember that is the conserved non-coding sequence is not even really required for thymus-derived Treg lineages, but it's absolutely essential for peripherally derived Tregs from, okay, from, diff from, from different domains. So you get the idea now that you're going to have different regions of the DNA that are going to be involved in organizing around the expression of the transcription factor that ultimately will lead to the, the, the differentiation to a Treg population. Okay. So CNS1, not necessary for thymic Tregs, absolutely necessary, that, that stretch of DNA, absolutely necessary for peripheral Tregs. Okay. Got it. Now, CNS2 actually has its own FOXP3 binding domain. <laughs> so once FOXP3 is transcribed from 
these CNSs, the transcription factor, now a protein, will go back and bind to that CNS2 site, right? That can serve non-coding sequence, which is part of the FOXP3 locus, okay? You understand now, again, it's a feed-forwarding system. And ultimately, you're going to have a negative feedback regulation, right? When you have too much of the product made. It's exactly how this works. So these are very common mechanisms in biochemical principle. So you have a FOXP3 binding site, and that's going to contribute not so much to more FOXP3 made, but it's going to contribute to T cell stability. That is T regulatory cell stability. You're going to have one more CNS, CNS type 3, and it's going to have what's known as a CREL binding site, and that actually increases T reg proliferation or just basically cell cycle. So you're getting mitosis, you're getting more Tregs. So FOXP3 ultimately will, will activate all the T regulatory cell signature genes. Those are going to include CTLA4, which remember that's going to shut down T helper cell lineage activity. Interleukin 2 receptor A, which is acting as a growth factor there. TNF receptor SF18, also known as TNFR superfamily member 18. Okay. And one more, the inducible T cell co stimulator or the ICOS. And all those are going to participate in the suppression function that is delivered from the fully differentiated T regulatory cell. Fully active, fully complemented, fully differentiated Treg. So, if you get FOXP3 mutations or outright deletions, there is a tremendous pathophysiology because what you get is right at the beginning of this uh, pathophysiology a lymphoproliferative disease, and it's characterized by multi-organ lymphocyte infiltration, as you might guess, a great deal of cellular destruction. Yeah. So there are these proteins called ID, ID2 and ID3, and a deficiency in ID2 or ID3 will result in the loss of distinct CD8-positive effector and memory cells. So now I want you to think about how this plays a role in the Treg pathway. So remember that Treg suppresses the development of any inflammatory disease when it's functioning correctly. But what are the transcription regulators involved here? And how do they all come together? So you have the expression of these two factors, ID2 and ID3, and they're in Treg cells. And they're actually also required to suppress the development of certain well-known fatal inflammatory diseases. In fact, T-cell antigen receptor-driven signaling initially would decrease the abundance of ID3, and that will lead to the activation, wait for it now, of a follicular regulatory T-cell-specific transcriptional 
signature. However, there's going to be a sustained lower abundance of ID2 and ID3, and that will interfere with the proper development of these TFR cells, right? these follicular regulatory T cells. So that means ultimately depletion of ID2 and ID3 expression, as I said at the beginning here, in Treg cells will result in basically a collapse of the maintenance and local and co-localization of Treg cell populations at a site where they're supposed to control the T effector cells. So that means both basically the ID2 and ID3 will reinforce a follicular regulatory T cell checkpoint. And that ultimately controls the maintenance and the homing activity of T regulatory cell lineages. Okay, did you catch all that now? All right. Now, there are a couple other uh, transcription factors involved. So when you have wild-type Treg cells, of course, they're expressing FOXP3. And when ID3 is expressed, they would normally shut down a transcription factor known as E47. So you're going to have a low E47 activity. That means you're not going to get an induction of the SOX3. And that means you're not going to ultimately block FOXP3. So ultimately, these wild-type Treg cells, because of ID3 blocking E47, you see, you're going to have a good FOXP3 maintained healthy Treg cell population, which are going to be able to control the Th cell lineages and also the CD8 positive T, T cell lineages, essentially the effector cells. Now, when you have an ID3 knockout Treg cell, that means there's no ID3, so it's not going to inhibit the transcription factor E47. So you're going to have high E47 activity, inducing chromatin retailering. That's going to increase the expression of first a protein called SPIB, and then that protein will act as transcription factor to control the expression of SOCS-S3. That's S-O-C-S-3. Okay. So what that will do is that will inhibit the expression now, a very potent inhibition of FOXP3. When you get FOXP3 down regulation, you have now a T regulatory cell, which is basically non-functional. So that means you get inflammation. You get a very potent effector T cell activity. Okay. So that's a really important issue then. Now, that all came from a paper I read, uh, oh, four or five years ago. It's in cell reports. Don't worry, I'll put that in the show notes. Now, another thing to keep in mind, when you have cells that are undergoing an interleukin-6, which is a pro-inflammatory cytokine, uh, uh, induction, where you get an increase in reactive oxygen or an increase in nitric oxide, as well as any hypoxia 
which because of the hypoxia is going to alter the tricarboxylic acid cycle because of lack of molecular oxygen to complete the electron transport chain, you're going to get a buildup of fumarate and or succinic acid. Now, all of that, just those two intermediates, DCA cycle, are going to turn on the epoxia initiation factor, the HIF-1, okay? Epoxy-inducible or hypoxia initiation factor 1, HIF-1. Now, what's that going to do to the Treg population? This is all happening on Tregs, okay? That's why we're talking about it now. So HIF-1 will then bind to FOXP3. And that means it'll send the FOXP3 into the proteasome. And what's that going to do? Well, first you're going to get polyubiquitinylation of the FOXP3 because now it's bound to HIF-1. And that's all in association with another protein called VHL-E3. That's the E3 ligase, basically. So you get that E3 ligase uh, ubiquitinylating FOXP3, and you're going to get complete FOXP3 degradation. So that's what happens, right, when you become hypoxic. Or when you, and because you're hypoxic, you're still going to make a lot of partially reduced forms of molecular oxygen because you can't complete it to water, right? And you're also going to get nitric oxide, uh, uh, inducible nitric oxide synthase. And then that peroxynitrite I talked about before, which is a very, very potent oxidant. But you got HIF now controlling a transcriptional level by inhibiting the transcription factor FOXP3 from doing its normal duty to make a positive. T-reg lineage to be able to control the T-effector cells.